0: Good morning. It's good to have you with us this morning. I'd like to extend a greeting to our guests with us this morning. If you received a bulletin on your arrival, uh, there's a tear-off slip. It's a starting point. Uh, Just if if you wouldn't mind, fill out that information and put it in the offering box at the uh, rear of the sanctuary. We'd like to stay in touch with you. We're excited that you're with us this morning. Um, I would like to dismiss the children for children's church. And as they're leaving, uh, just kind of a life hack kind of thing, we want to be a help to you if you're changing your wiper blades. Um, Put the arm down before you're done, because if you don't, I have a windshield guy for that. I found out the hard way this week that wiper arms will crack a windshield two days before you leave on vacation. So, yeah. Yeah. And with that, um, we are leaving very shortly. So this might either be the shortest sermon I ever preach, um, but uh, we're going to be gone for a couple weeks. If you have any pastoral um, emergencies or any pastoral care uh, issues, that over the next couple weeks, Pastor Dustin is available, and and also our elders. Um, If you're in an elder care group, uh, just please contact your elder that kind of oversees... your spiritual care that way. So, um, I'm going to throw my phone in the ocean and I'm sure I have insurance for that one too. I'll have a life hack on how to dry it out when I get back. So, anyways, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 11. We're going to continue our, our study in this wonderfully challenging and beautiful section of Scripture. As we continue our, our journey through Paul's letter to the church in Rome. This morning we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. What I'd like to do is read those verses for you now in preparation for our study. Romans chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. How about those verses? I would venture to say if Paul had submitted his letter to an editorial committee in an American church, it would have been radically different when he wrote it. Verse 7 would be changed to read, what then, what Israel seeking, it is not obtained, but those who believed have obtained it, while the rest chose not to believe. That would seem nice, right? That would seem simple or easy to rest in. I mean, just in four short verses again, Paul is talking about God's election and hardening. Both sides. We talk about election in in Romans 8, Romans 9 even in, in chapter 10 and now again in chapter 11, that God chooses those who will be His. And it's not based on anything that we do. And now we're talking about God's hardening. It's His hardening. It's clear in the text. And then you have verses 8, 9, and 10. I mean, I think many people would say, Paul, this is just too gloomy. This is depressing. This is negative. Folks today want an upbeat message. They want to hear about a God of love, not a God of judgment. They don't want to hear about a God who gives people eyes to not see and ears to not hear. So maybe we would just eliminate these verses altogether. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote these verses as they stand. We can pretend that they aren't in our Bibles. We can stumble over them or seek to gain benefit to our souls as intended. But may we not dare to fall into the spiritually fatal error of making up a God according to our liking. If that's what we do, it's idolatry. It's spiritual idolatry. I like a loving God, not a God of judgment. I like a God who gives me free will, not a God who sovereignly chooses If you do that, you fall into idolatry because you are fashioning God in your own image. And Scripture, not just in one place, but in many places, is clear of His sovereign power at work in His creation. Like Moses, who stood before God at the burning bush, if you remember in Exodus 3, God called this man and visited with him in the form of a burning bush. And if you, if you could just imagine Moses being in the wilderness, a bush is consumed by fire and it keeps burning and a voice comes from the bush and it is God's voice. And God is speaking to this man, calling him to lead the people that are precious to God out of Egypt. And what did God say? Take your sandals off. In many ways, as we look at these verses in Romans 11, we too are like Moses standing on holy ground. When you read things like this in Romans 11, you're on holy ground because there is a sense of the holy, sovereign power of God. And there's also a sense of things that are often too difficult to grasp so I would say to us this morning, if you're sitting there thinking, these are hard things, join the club. They are hard things. But they're here for a reason. And God's Word is clear. And God's Word is sure. And God has a purpose in teaching us hard things, even when it's difficult for us to grasp. What we're going to see in our passage this morning is that God gave Israel their spiritual blindness. God gave it. Now, we're going to see in the coming weeks as we finish chapter 11, God gave their spiritual blindness for a purpose, for His glory. And this is what a sovereign God does. Now, we need to remember the main question that Paul is dealing with in this portion of Scripture in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. It's where does Israel fit in the plan of God? It's very clear to see from Paul's perspective. It's, it's clear to see even from our 21st century perspective. The people that God chose in the Old Testament that the Old Testament has written about, the nation of Israel, are not living for Christ. They're still Israel, they're still Jewish, they're still in their orthodoxy, Old Testament law followers, and here we are in the New Testament age of the church, and and we look at them and they look at us, and, and, and it seems like while we worship the same God, we are on distant islands from each other. And so the question is raised by Paul as he looks at these people who were promised the Messiah, the same Messiah that we believe in and have trusted in, as has God's Word failed on their behalf? Because if all the promises were given in the Old Testament to them for the Messiah to come, then why aren't they believing? Why aren't they followers? And if God's Word has failed for Israel, for them... What's to say that it's not going to fail for us? And so Paul answers this question two ways so far in chapters 9 and 10. In chapter 9, he explained that God had sovereignly chose those who would be spiritual Israel. Not all of Israel is spiritual Israel. Nationality, nationality doesn't count for God. You know, there, there isn't going to be um, an ID card that people are going to show at the end of time saying, well, I'm from the nation of Israel, so I belong in heaven. God is going to search their hearts and they are going to have to answer the question of what have you done with the Messiah? The second answer that Paul answers or, or provides is that Israel had produced their own righteousness They had tried to seek after their own righteousness by following the law. And they stumbled, as Paul says in Romans 10, over the Christ. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They tripped over Jesus. And they missed the whole point that man is justified by faith, not by works. And I praise God today that I am not justified by works. That my certainty in God's presence isn't based on how good I am. Now, I might try to do a good job faking it at times. Like, if you're like me, right, you can go through stretches where you're like, yeah, I've done some good in my life. But if you're honest with yourself, you know, you know what's going on inside. You know that apart from God's grace in your life, you're in a terrible spot. And so now in chapter 11, Paul is dealing with Israel nationally, not individually, but corporately, the nation, the people. And the theme of chapter 11 is that God will not turn his back on the nation. And in so doing, God is promising to preserve a remnant, a group. From this nation that has largely rejected the Messiah. That God is promising that at the end of the day, there will be a people that will enter his forever kingdom from that people group. And so as we grapple with this difficult question of God's hardening, God's choosing, what does it all mean? Where do we stand? What does it mean that Israel was hardened? I want you to see this this morning. That God is purposely working on our behalf. Because left to ourselves, none of us would be able to find God on our own. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know um, if, if we all would agree that we know Jesus Christ As the promised Savior. I don't know that for sure. Only God knows our hearts. But I know this it is not by accident that you are here this morning in this place to hear this text. This is God's Word, and He's the one that is speaking. God is purposely working on our behalf because. If we were trying to figure it out, we couldn't. What that shows me is that God's work on my behalf is a great encouragement to me. Now, think about that for a second. In spite of ourselves, God works, God reveals, God calls, God shows himself strong. This passage also shows us, and I don't know if you picked up on it, but in verses 9 and 10, this passage shows us that if a person continually misses the blessings that God gives, there is a danger that their hearts will be hardened by the Lord towards Him. Like there comes a point as God just works and shows himself strong and true, that if we receive the blessings and forget the one who gives the blessings, our hearts are hardened. We're given blindness. So we want to wade through these difficult things together. But we need help. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. So would you pray with me? And we'll ask the Spirit to open our hearts. Our God and Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You speak truth into our lives. We thank You that You are gracious and kind in calling us to this place to hear Your Word. We thank You, Father, that Your Word is eternal. It is settled in heaven there's nothing that changes about what you have said. And so what we, have, what we read today that was written thousands of years ago is just as true today. And so, Father, I pray that as we hear your words, that your Spirit would teach us. And, Father, when it comes to these hard things, that we would not check out but that we would move closer to You. That we would lean in a little more. And Father, that we would hear what You have to say. And Father, we're grateful for what You'll do because Your Word promises that if we listen with understanding, Your Spirit will teach us and we will be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. We're grateful for that. And so now work in a powerful way for it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. And so the passage begins with a question in verse 7. What then? It's a, a short question, but it's a natural question as Paul is dealing with what we just uh, focused on last week and in Romans 11, 1 through 6. If you remember, God is promising a remnant. He is promising to work on... Uh, Israel's behalf, that there will be a people that will always be his. And in verse six, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, that righteousness is always founded by grace. It is a gift of faith. That by faith we find God's righteousness. That by faith we are called to be His. That we receive Christ as Savior. That it's not by any do goodedness that we do. It's not by any works. It's not by any effort. But that we find the gift of righteousness through grace. Because if it was based on works, then it would cease to be grace. And so what then, Paul asks... The righteousness that Israel is seeking is not found, he says. We know this. If you've been with us in Romans 9 and 10, you know that Israel tried really hard to outperform the requirements of the law, the Old Testament, the commands. The things that formed their faith. And it wasn't even just what was written in the Old Testament. They added to it. They had all these other books that they added to it. And so they tried to be experts at keeping the letter of the law. What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained. Do you ever go on a journey looking for something and you never find it? Isn't that frustrating. It is frustrating. To put so much effort and desire and and focus on something and and you think you're heading in the right direction with all the things. And maybe you planned and prepared and, and had everything on your checklist of what to bring. Like right now, we have a checklist at home. This is what you bring on vacation. And I know we're going to get to Florida and we're going to look and go, oh, I forgot something. Or maybe they changed the roads and we're going to get on Interstate 81, and we're going to end up in Oklahoma for some reason. But like, you know, we're going to do the effort. We're going to do the thing. And, and, and if you're from Oklahoma, I'm sure it's a beautiful place. It's just not where we were thinking we were going. But, and now that I've offended everyone in Oklahoma on the live stream, sorry, thanks for being with us. Um, that's the thing, though. They're on this journey putting all their effort and feeling really good about themselves. What then? well what they were seeking they had not obtained but those who were chosen obtained it that that's clear like there isn't any muddied water about what paul is talking about those whom god called chosen elected found grace They were the ones that found grace. Now for those that have found grace, that is good news. Because really, it means that we didn't find grace. We didn't stumble upon grace. It's not like we opened a cupboard and like, oh right, that's where grace is. No, grace finds us. if you know Jesus Christ personally this morning, you may have been searching at one point in your life, but grace found you. And when God revealed Himself to you, you received that wonderful gift. That the Holy God of the universe would choose to find us. That's wonderfully comfortable. It settles the heart. It reminds us just how much He loves us. Because God would still be holy and just if He left sinful man in their sinful state. That if we were left dead in our sins and trespasses, and we were destined for hell with no help, no cross, no gift of God's Son, God is still completely holy and just. But the fact that He gives grace, and those who were chosen obtained it, that's a comfort. But the question is, what about the rest? And the questions asked and answered in this text, what about the rest? What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it. And the rest were hardened. Paul doesn't hold back. He doesn't give a soft answer. He just plainly states that those in Israel that pursued righteousness based on the law were hardened. And he moves on. Now this word hardened used here is a little different than the word hardened that was used in chapter 9 speaking of Pharaoh. In this sense, this word hardened that Paul uses here is written in the passive sense. It is given the person or the people hardened weren't seeking hardening it happened upon them from an outside force this word hardening indicates a spiritual callousness to being able to hear the gospel message in the sense of what paul is writing the hardening is a judicial hardening or punishment. When you look at the text in Romans 11, cited with the examples that Paul cites, you see that the hardening of national Israel was given to them by God as judgment for their rejection of seeing the God of grace and His power on their behalf and ignoring the One that gave it. Israel time and time again missed the mark of God's faithfulness and grace throughout their journeys and would often forsake His truth for their works. As a result, they were hardened to the message of grace. The only ones that will find grace in Israel is the remnant that God has chosen. And even today, there are people, there is a remnant from Israel that find grace in Jesus Christ. Those that were truly seeking the righteousness that came from heaven, they find it. And at the end of time, when God reconciles the world to Himself, when He brings all things to an end and deals with sin, He calls Israel, believing Israel to Himself, and they will enter into the Messiah's kingdom as His. There is a promise here of God's faithfulness. But the only ones that are going to find it are the ones that God has chosen. Now the reality today that many who are of Israel today are so by nationality, like that's their card-carrying status. I'm a Jew. This is my lineage. This is where I came from. The overwhelming vast majority of Jews that live on the globe today are Jews by nationality. And they are largely secular. Secular. They they don't go and follow the the commands and, and guidance of the Old Testament. They're not visiting the synagogues and celebrating their faith. They're not longing and expecting the Savior to come. They have been hardened to the message of grace as a result of the hardness of their hearts. Commentator Douglas Moose states this, That God's hardening permanently binds people in the sin that they have chosen for themselves. Let me read that again. God's hardening permanently binds people in the sin that they have chosen for themselves. Notice where the sin originates, right? It's not God, it's their sin. And they're permanently binded to that, and they're hardening. In verse 8, we read, just as it is written. Those are important words when you read them in Scripture just as it is written. When you find that in Scripture, what you're seeing is that the writers of Scripture are looking back, reaching back into the Old Testament, into the Word of God, and saying this is what God's Word has said that shows us that what we're writing isn't something brand new that caught everyone off guard. Nobody reading this letter in Rome would say, oh my word, I had no idea that this is what God did. They would know this. Just as it was said, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. Now this this quotation in Romans 8 is actually two two Old Testament verses that are conflated together. What do I mean? Paul took two sources in the Old Testament. These two sources are Deuteronomy 29, verse 4, and Isaiah 29, verse 10. He took those two sources and he mushed them together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, I would say to you, it is not our job to conflate Scripture. But if you are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and God is the one that is writing, God can conflate Scripture, He can mush it together to show what his purposes are. Why is he using these two texts? Well, they prove the following point. The the Israelites did not follow God faithfully even though they saw God's miraculous deliverance from Egypt. His preservation of them in the wilderness and the warnings that the prophets gave. In verses 8, 9, and 10, Paul quotes from the law, and the prophets. He's helping us to see that all of the Old Testament points to this. What do we read? God gave them a spirit of stupor. The stupor came as a result of their inability to appropriate God's work on their behalf as an act of grace. You know what stupor means, right? It means drunkenness. It means paralysis of thought. It means a spirit of deep sleep. I'm sure no one knows what that means right now. It's similar. This this passage is similar to what Jesus said or what is said about Jesus and His ministry in John chapter 12. It's actually a direct parallel. In Deuteronomy 29, which is where one part of this verse is quoted from, 29.4, We read in in Deuteronomy 29 about the Exodus miracles, all the plagues, all of the things that Israel saw. In John chapter 12, we read about all of the miracles that were taking place by the hand of Jesus. The signs and wonders to prove the deity of Christ. In John chapter 12, we read about the walking on water, feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, healing a man born blind, casting out demons with a word. Incredible, incredible power. There is a river of miracles surrounding John chapter 12. What does John say about that river of miracles that Jesus was performing and the crowds were watching? And the crowds, oh, by the way, were the nation of Israel, the ones he came to save. In John chapter 12, verses 37 through 40, we read this But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for this reason, they could not believe for Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. That's what God does. When you see the power of God on display and reject that message, your heart then becomes hardened. I know these are hard things for us. But the Scriptures are clear of what God does. In verses 9 and 10 we read, And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Here now, Paul is quoting from Psalm 69, verses 22 and 23. Psalm 69 is an imprecatory psalm. It's a song of lament. It is a song of God, send judgment on those that are hurting me. The early church used Psalm 69 as a messianic song. They sang this song in their worship services as a picture of the passion of Jesus Christ. The focus here is that Paul points out that Israel's hardening came as a result of their table becoming a snare and a trap. Their table. Now we have to understand what table represents here. The table in the Old Testament represented God's gracious provision and blessing. When you sat at the table for a meal, and you viewed what was set on the table, it was a time to what? Be thankful. Because God has provided. The table is the place where we can sit and view how we have been blessed. In Israel's relationship with the Lord, they held on to the table longer than they should, and they did not focus on the one who set the table. you see that? They looked at the table and all the blessings and they thought, this is amazing. We're so great. We're so loved. We're so, oh, this is good. And they forgot that someone set the table for them. Israel trusted in their physical blessings. And what did they do? They turned to other gods. So I want you to do something if you can, if you have your Bibles open, go to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 31. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, we read some of the last counsel that Moses will give. He gives it to Joshua. Israel is at the edge of the promised land. They're getting ready to get the land, the table that God had prepared for them. They had wandered in the wilderness. Moses was not going to be able to enter into that promised land, he was not going to sit at the table per se. But he's giving last counsel, and he's warning the people. God is warning the people. What's interesting about Deuteronomy 31 is Deuteronomy 31 is written before Deuteronomy 32. I know, that's really interesting to you. (laughs) Let me say it this way. Deuteronomy 31 is Moses' last counsel. God is speaking last counsel to Moses as he is to guide the people. What is Deuteronomy 32? We looked at it last week. It's Moses' song. He sings a song for Israel. Now in Deuteronomy 32, it's a song of God's gracious redemption, bringing them out of Egypt and all of the miracles that had happened in the Exodus wanderings. Deuteronomy 32 is a song that was to be sung by the nation of Israel. Why? Because music has the ability to help us to remember things. Do you ever turn on the radio and hear just a few bars of a song and you're like, I know that song. And you start singing that song. And you know words to the song that you haven't sung in years and years and years. Now let's fast forward and, and put, put a, a more positive spin on it. What about songs that teach us Scripture? Like the hymns or the, the praise songs that we sing that have scripture in them. Like Jesus Messiah, he became sin who knew no sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. Like Brian and I weren't talking about this today, it's just God's sovereign work in this. But we're actually singing scripture when we sing that song. Scripture has the ability, or song, singing scripture has the ability. To help us to remember things that are important. And Deuteronomy 32 was to be the song that they were to sing so that they would not forget God's work. But it's in Deuteronomy 31 verses 19 through 22 that we read these words. Now therefore, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips so that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. For when I bring them into the land of flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn to other gods and serve them and spurn me and break my covenant. Then it shall come about when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify before them as a witness. For it it shall not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. For I know their intent which they are developing today before I've brought them into the land which I swore. That's puzzling to me. But it's true. In verse 20, when God is saying to Moses about the song that they are to remember and sing, and he's like, they're going into the land of milk and honey, and they're going to eat and be fat, and they're going to become prosperous. What are they then going to do? Well, he writes the rest of the Old Testament for us in these verses. They go into the land, and they become like the nations. They go in the land, they forget God's blessing. They go into the land, they look at all that God has given them, and they say, well, we'd rather have more for ourselves. And so what do they do? Well, they're judged because they have broken God's covenant. God set a great table for Israel. But they forgot the one who set the table. And so their table became a snare and a trap. The problem was that Israel's prosperity brought out the worst in them. They missed the blessing. They turned what God had done into a thinking that they were good, like they received it, they were kind of bulletproof. Listen, the blessings that God gives are never an end to themselves. The blessings that you have received in your life from the hand of God are never an end to themselves. They are always a vehicle to praise the one who gave the blessing. And that is why, as the people of God, When the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. The picture that Paul paints in verse 10 is of a level of depravity that turns on itself and self-destructs, causing retribution, which is a picture of God's judgment. Because Israel refused to receive grace, their backs will be bent under the weight of guilt and punishment forever. So as we close, I want you to think about these things. There's two things I want you to think about. Um, the first thing, and I, I alluded to this in the beginning of the message, it may be tempting for us as we spend many weeks in Romans 9, 10, and 11 to think that it would be better to have a more pragmatic approach to the reading and studying of Scripture. What do I mean by pragmatic? Well, the word pragmatic means practical. And it might be, you might say after months of Romans 9, 10, and 11, God's work in Israel, God's sovereign power, all these things thinking can you just help me to understand my today life? Can I have the three steps or the five goals to get me through today? You know, that's the pragmatic approach of reading Scripture. You might be tempted to think that when we spend time in heavy, weighty Scriptures. But I hope you see in our time here in this text that when you read the whole counsel of the Word of God. That the Holy Spirit gives you insight into areas of your life that you totally would not have found otherwise. That in a passage about God causing spiritual blindness to those who are in Israel that have rejected the Messiah, we also see a God who opens our eyes to the Savior. Our eyes were open. If you know Jesus Christ this morning personally, God opened your eyes. He did. That when you read the almost 350 verses in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, and you see Jesus in those verses, God has opened your eyes. And when your eyes are open, that's a gift. God has opened our eyes that we may see the glory of Jesus as He has come to restore us back to the Father. And one more thing, I think it's also important for us to see that we do not place too much emphasis on the blessing of this life. We live in a very affluent society. We live in a very prosperous nation. I don't think you need to look very hard to understand just how blessed physically you are compared to many people in the world today. You're blessed, right? Yes, you are. And isn't it easy to put too much focus on what the blessing is rather than the one that gave the blessing. Like when I cracked the windshield on Thursday, I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. (laughs) Oh, right. I have the means to fix it. I had a vehicle that it happened in. Like, I wanted to focus on that one small thing that was taken Thankfully, I have a gracious wife because I came in the church. It happened Thursday afternoon. I came in, I walked into her office here and I said, you love me no matter what, right? (laughs) And her next words were, what did you do? (laughs) But we focus on the things that we don't have or the things that are taken, and we forget all that we do have. And one of the great dangers of living in such an affluent culture is that we feel entitled to have it. And if we do that, if we live that way, our table becomes our snare and trap. And so we need to be careful to guard our hearts from the blessings that can so easily trip us up. Remember, God is purposely working on your behalf because left to ourselves, none of us would be able to find God on our own. And His work gives eternal blessings as we find a home with Him forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these moments to remember just how good you are, how gracious and kind. Father, for how faithful you are to put up with all the things that we throw at you, the fickleness of our hearts, the desire that we have in our flesh to pursue the things of this world rather than the things of you. And I pray as a people that we would see that number one, because of Jesus, we have all that we need. And number two, as a result of knowing Jesus, you have given us every spiritual blessing in heaven. That there's more to come. Father, that there's a day to come when we will enter your presence that will... We're going to look at the things of this world and think, man, that was, that doesn't even compare. And so God, would you help us to guard our hearts? Would you help us to to trust in your sovereign work just to see how good you have been? And especially now as we prepare for communion, the table that is set for us, the, the great table of our Lord, to remember and commemorate His death on the cross. And the giving of His body and the shedding of His blood for our sins so that we could be forgiven and be Yours forever. And so, Father, through Your Spirit, work in our hearts and help us to never neglect the praise of our King for all of the good things that He gives us. And we'll thank You and praise You for it's in His strong name, the name of King Jesus, that we ask all these things. Amen.